And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. Yes, it's Thursday, the second best day of the week. And yes, we are live again uh, as we talked about on uh, Tuesday, uh, this show doesn't run when Brent's not here. And uh, Brent had to take his lovely wife uh, in for a very minor surgery yesterday. So uh, everything went well. She's good. Thumbs up from Brent this morning. I think she's going to live. She's going to live. This yeah. is, is a, it was no big deal. It was a, it was a hip adjustment. An aspiration. An aspiration. I'm, I'm not sure what that means. but Sucking stuff out. Okay. But she survived and it's yes. all good. Yes. Awesome. So Thank anyway, Brent is back today. So if you're on our YouTube chat, send uh, send your condolences, I guess, <laughs> to Brent. Get because well now I, it is condolences because now he's got a cranky wife who's sore from the surgery. So <laughs> condolences <laughs> for Brent this morning. I'm going to earn the title of Nurse Ratchet. There you go. Um, uh, also, by the way, just interesting news. Uh, so a few years back, so in 2008, 9, 10, right around that era, uh, Brent and I were doing the show together, and uh, we had a guest on our show, uh, Dr. Ori Hampel, who was mm-hmm. with doctorsforpatients.org, and we were at that time you know, discussing why the Affordable Care Act was going to drive your health care cost higher for all the obvious reasons. Now we can look back and say, why is health care cost higher? We now can attribute that all to the ACA. Um, but interestingly enough, he texted me last night oh. with a link. His oldest daughter is in Israel right now, and oh. she was interviewed last night by a television station to get her views on what's happening in Israel. So she is she is actually over there right now. But anyway, uh, prayers go out to make sure she's safe, obviously, and, and remains that way. She wasn't in she wasn't any place in Israel where she was hearing bombs go off and those type of things. Yeah. But and it's interesting, you know, it's just a very small world that we that we live in. So uh, obviously, what's happening in Israel, Gaza, of course, has been impacting the world for the last uh, couple of days in particular, but not so much the markets. Uh, markets have pretty much shunned most of this off. Uh, in fact, yesterday was the, purchase, the producer's price index, which did come in a little bit hotter than expected. Now, this morning, and we're going to talk about this with Michael Leibowitz here in a few minutes, uh, we also had the Fed minutes out yesterday also talking about higher for longer and all that, but all that's now become very stale data just in the last really few days because of a couple of things. One um, has been this very, very sharp drop in crude prices, which has, you know, this was one of the big concerns about a potential resurgence in inflation was energy prices were rallying higher um, and that was like, oh, this is going to feed directly into, um, you know, higher, um, higher inflation costs. Well, just over the course of a couple of weeks, that had completely reversed. Very big drop in energy prices. Yesterday, um, there was another big build in crude oil supplies, so suggesting a little bit lower oil prices this morning as well. So we'll see how that works out. The other side of this, of course, <clears throat> is that interest rates had made a very, very sharp move higher. Now, this was also one of the big things that you know the Fed was wanting. They wanted tighter monetary policy. Well, all of a sudden, interest rates went taking off in the course of just about a month or so, and that has dramatically tightened 
financial conditions for the Fed. So all that, and we'll talk about this with Mike, but you know, all, a lot of that commentary that were in those previous meetings has now become very stale data. The market now looking at that, and that has led to a rather sharp drop in interest rates over the last couple of days. Now, interest rates are testing the 20-day moving average right now. The 20-day moving average has been the trend for interest rates really ever since this kind of accelerated move higher in rates have started. So again, if rates are going to find support here and then try to move back higher, uh, this is going to be the point that the, the that rates try to make a move higher today. We'll, we'll see what happens on the back of the CPI report. If we take out the 20-day moving average, 4.34 is going to be the next stop. That's the 50-day moving average. And then, of course, below the 50-day moving average, we're going to talk about a 4% rate pretty quick on the 10-year Treasury. So there is a potential setup here. With Now, so you have to remember, interest rates run opposite of bond prices. So as, as interest rates trigger sell signals, which if, if normally if we looked at a stock, and we said, okay, you've got a MACD sell signal here, uh, that would mean that stock prices would be moving lower. Well, for bond prices, it's the, the inverse. So we've got a sell signal on interest rates suggesting lower rates here. Interest rates were very overbought. They're now working back towards oversold. We're not there yet. This all suggests that we're gonna see some lower rates over the course of the next month or so. Of course, that'll translate into higher bond prices. Um, but also too, the, the market is now moving into the seasonally strong period of the year. Um, as we talked about earlier, we have, we have definitely triggered that seasonal MACD buy signal. This suggests higher prices. There's been a high correlation between stocks and bonds this year. So again, you would expect now that if you're going to get a rally in stocks, you'll also get a rally in bonds over the next couple of months. But you've now got a trigger here. We took out the 20-day moving average day before yesterday, retested it yesterday morning, and have rallied off of that. So again, as we kind of look at all of this kind of put into to a kind of a composite what we're looking for here is a stronger rally in the index. We've got some resistance here at 43.80. Um, that's going to require a bit more work here um, for the markets to get above that. So this market may run into a little bit of resistance here, struggle here for a few days, kind of remain trapped between the 20-day and, and this kind of cluster of moving averages right above the current price. So again, we've got a buy signal. We're not overbought yet. Um, there's some positive divergences happening in indicators like the McClellan oscillator. Don't worry about that one. Uh, but we're seeing some positive divergences um, in other technical indicators that also suggest that this market wants to try to go higher here over the course of the next you know, couple of weeks. And, and particularly as we get into earnings season, of course, earnings season now kicking off. Then, of course, after earnings season is kind of really into it, into the month, we start getting those stock buybacks uh, started again. So all of that is going to lead to a higher push potentially in asset prices over the near term. Now, this is going to be kind of frustrating for a lot of people that have been expecting a bigger decline in the markets, that return of the bear market, so to speak. Uh, technically, there's just not the backdrop for that right now. If interest rates continue to fall, that's also going to provide a bigger boost to uh, asset prices under the assumption that as interest rates are coming down, that's going to help boost profit margins, obviously, because of borrowing costs going down, that'll help boost profit margins, earnings, etc. So, you know, you know, you've got to be a little careful here if you've got a real bearish view about the markets and the economy and all this type of stuff. 
the backdrop for that simply doesn't exist at the moment and it's more of a it's more really technically uh, and, and, and both uh, positioning wise we have a much more bullish setup for the markets here at least over the next couple of months now this doesn't mean once we get to 2024 that we can't have a recession and a bigger uh, a bigger market drawdown that's certainly still a potential once we get into 2024 but over the next couple of months the setup here uh, is is fairly bullish and this is why over the last month or so we were using this decline to kind of add exposure to our portfolios expecting this kind of setup to materialize it's now here so we'll now have to see how that plays out again you can't negate risk management you've got to stay with that as well but you know, pay attention to what the markets are doing now uh, at the moment because it is a little bit better setup. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Now, when we come back, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz and talk about, well, again, uh, these Fed minutes that came out. What does this mean? What's changed? Is the market even expecting a rate cut coming up in November? Right? All of a sudden, things have changed fairly quickly. We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well. So uh, this morning, obviously, the big CPI report uh, is coming out. And, and this is, you know, this has been, you know, kind of the monthly moment, right? For the whole year, it's been every time we come up on a CPI report, like all eyes are glued on the CPI report and, you know, whatever little tick one way or the other, the whole market reacts and, it's been higher for longer with the Fed, so that you know, even though the fact that inflation has been coming down, you know, it's it's the market. If it comes a little bit hot, the market sells off a lot, and interest rates go up. And it's been just that that year so far. And I thought yesterday's action was pretty interesting because PPI did come in a little bit hotter than expected yesterday. Uh, came in at 0.3 versus 0.2, and. You know, normally we would see that by a sharp jump higher in interest rates under the expectation the Fed is going to be hiking rates more to combat this inflationary pressure. And also you had the Fed minutes came out yesterday, um, which was nothing alarming or nothing new. It's pretty much everything we knew. The, the Fed basically said, you know, uh, kind of reiterated their position. They're focusing on the data. The economy's strong. And, you know, it's they're going to have to maintain a more restrictive position in monetary policy, you know, higher for longer uh, for, for now until they get inflation down to their 2% target. So there's nothing surprising at all. But despite that yesterday, very sharp drop in interest rates, um, you know, for the day, uh, bond prices moved up higher. Uh, stock market sold off initially, you know, opened up higher yesterday morning, ran into resistance right there at, the, at those moving averages we just talked about, sold off a bit midday, and then a very strong rally into the end of the day, closing at the day's highs. And again, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. You know, the, the, the good sign that we, the sign we were looking for to tell us that we've most likely entered into the seasonally strong period um, besides our MACD buy signal, which, 
you know, confirms the beginning of that seasonally strong period is also seeing a late day buying by institutions. We had gone through a, a bit of a phase in kind of August and in September where we saw a lot of late day selling and that was institutions selling into the end of the day, shorting the markets. And of course, we built up a fairly big short position against the markets, also against bonds as well. Um, so we've seen a reversal of that over the last few days. And so that's encouraging that that we're seeing institutions come in, they're having to buy. And again, this all kind of lines up with this seasonally strong period. Um, again, if we go back and talk about, you know, kind of performance this year, this market's been driven by these seven to 10 kind of big stocks. So any portfolio manager that owns anything other than those seven to 10 stocks is underperforming this year. So there's going to be this need for a bit of performance chasing into year end to get some performance on the books, have the right positions on the books by year end. So when they do that year end reporting, they don't lose their jobs. It's all about career risk at the end of the day. So that's kind of the, the quick backdrop of what happened over the last couple of days. I, I know we've been in and out this week because of, of, of Brent having multiple issues. <laughs> so <laughs> he's now confirmed that he is now back for good. So we'll, we'll uh, get things back on schedule next week. Uh, but the, anyway, beyond all that, CPI out this morning, uh, you know, expect to come in at point two. Um, very likely going to come in at point three. And uh, so, Michael, this is going to be kind of one of the the big debates, um, you know, and, and again, with the markets, you know, we could see maybe a little bit of a stutter this morning if inflation comes in at point four uh, or whatever it is. But do you think the markets will see through that considering uh, the lag effect of oil prices and the recent uh, collapse in prices? Yeah, and I think unemployment, the unemployment report Friday is a good example of that. You know, that the headline number was very strong labor growth. But as soon as you dug into the number, you realize that the labor market is not nearly as strong as that headline number. Mm -hmm. And there were plenty of reasons for somewhat concern within the employment number. PPI yesterday was a little higher. But when you strip out energy, it was as expected. Mm -hmm. uh, so CPI today. I presume, it, like you, it will be a little bit higher, possibly higher than expectations. The question will be, what drives that? And if it is energy and food, uh, the market may look through it again. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the CPI report is a big daunted report, and it drives the Fed. But I think the Fed, you know, and not many people have paid attention to this, but the Fed's tone has changed over the last few days. And it's not Powell, but there have been three, actually four speakers this week that have made the comment. And one of them, Laurie Logan from uh, the Dallas Fed, who is very hawkish, is one of them. And, and they all have said that with long term interest rates going up, they the market is doing the Fed's job for them. In other words, because there there are higher rates, the economy will naturally slow and the Fed may not have to raise rates again. Uh, President Bostic, I believe he's Atlanta, right? Mm -hmm. I, I could be yes. wrong, but yep. I think he's Atlanta, said that the Fed's done raising rates. Yep. So you're starting to get this shift in tone and acknowledgement that the long, long end of the bond curve is starting to do what the Fed wants it to do, and that's slow down economic growth. So. I didn't see comments like that in the minutes yesterday, but again, the minutes for, from the prior meeting and rates had gone up a decent amount after that meeting. Mm -hmm. So what we need to look 
Two is Jerome Powell confirming that. That would go a long way. And then ultimately, there's a meeting in about three weeks. And we'll see if they kind of soften up their approach. But one reason I think the bond market is rallying, the stock market is rallying, is that subtle shift in the Fed, in the tone of some of the Fed speakers. Um, but again, you know, we'll wait to see confirmation. Yeah. And we'll see if the market and markets, both bonds and stocks, continue to form to perform rather bullishly. Yeah. And again, you know, it's, you know, as is always the case, and we've talked about this before, you know, these minutes that come out, those are not actual minutes of the meeting where they're, you know, somebody's dictate, you know, taking dictation of the, of what everything is said. And then they just publish those. These are very crap, you know, very well crafted messages that come out from the Fed in order to give the markets, you know, their positioning. Yes, but not to drastically move markets in one direction or the other because they know that there's going to be an impact when those those minutes are released. And so these are very craft, you know, very, you know, very crafted statements that come out. And then in between those minutes uh, and those meetings that they have, the speakers come out and they make these statements. And and we've talked about, Mike, you and I have talked about this before, you know, they'll, they'll kind of loft a trial balloon out there to see how the markets react. And you may get two speakers that say two exactly different things in two different days uh, just to kind of see what market reactions are. And so if they're talking about, hey, we might need to hike rates if the markets do okay, it kind of gives the Fed green light to you know go ahead and, and do a rate hike or whatever it is that they're trying to do. And so it's interesting at the last meeting and, and when they had that last meeting, they were all extremely hawkish to your point. And it was like, oh, we're going to, you know, we've got, you know, we might have to hike rates one more time. The market sold off on that news. Uh, there was a lot of concern about, oh, the Fed's not done yet. They're going to keep hiking rates. And since then, now we're getting these kind of speakers coming out. And, and you and I talked about this before, is that the Fed can never tell you that they're done hiking rates. Because if they said, hey, we're done hiking rates, the, you know, the barn market's going to take off running, the stock market's going to take off running, and everything they were trying to do to tighten monetary policy gets reversed uh, very quickly. So they have to give you these messages, these breadcrumbs that, well, we might be done hiking rates. We're not quite sure yet, but we might be done. And that's kind of setting this up for, you know, no no rate hike coming at the end of this month at the next meeting. But, you know, I, I, I imagine that Jerome Powell won't confirm that they're done hiking rates. They're going to leave that potential out there that, well, you know, if we get a resurgence in inflation, we might have to hike rates one more time. But, you know, for right now, you know, monetary policy is restrictive enough. What do you think? Yeah. And I also there's another factor, and that's the Israeli war. And that clouds the economic future. You know, you start involving Iran or Saudi Arabia or both of them, and, and you really have a, a cloudier future. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's why the Fed is starting to trot out some of these messages that, you know what, maybe we are maybe we are done or maybe we're we're at a place where we can pause. Um, and the the first two that I saw, Lori Logan and um, I forgot who the second one was, came from Nick Timoreos. Nick Timoreos works for the Wall Street Journal. He's otherwise known as the Fed Whisperer. Mm -hmm. When the Fed wants to tell the market something but doesn't want to tell it directly, they often go through him. So I, I think this is somewhat of a coordinated effort to tell the market they're close to pausing. But like you said, Lance, they're going to hold that stick over the market mm -hmm. and make it think that they can hike at any moment as well. 
But, you know, I think the market is sensing some sort of change at the Fed, slightly less hawkish. And, and, and this brings up a whole litany of other, you know, issues, because normally if the Fed is done hiking rates, again, historically, if we go back and talk about Fed rate hikes and when the Fed is paused, you know, there's, there's an old saying that you sell the last Fed rate hike. Because normally coming after the last Fed rate hike, and again, it doesn't mean that immediately as soon as they stop hiking rates, the market collapses, but generally the Fed may pause for three, four, five, six months, and they're not hiking rates, but they're not lowering rates either. And then there's some type of financial event, some type of you know credit issue, some type of recession, and then the Fed has to begin cutting rates again. And so it'll be interesting is that, you know, does, if the Fed is done hiking rates in November, if they, in other words, at this next, this next meeting, October 31st, November the 1st, if they don't hike rates, does that begin the clock potentially for the next market, you know, downturn? Um, and, and, and we'll have to, we'll talk about that a little bit after the break. Uh, more with Michael Lee, what's coming up? Don't go away. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, just talking a little bit about, you know, market narratives and. You know, look, we're moving into the seasonally strong period of the year right now. And we talked about this for a while, you know, for the last couple of months, the markets were selling off and we're like, you know, this is normal. We're in that normal time of the year where you have your seasonal weakness. And now we're moving into our seasonally strong period. The market, if you take a look at the market, how the market has behaved this year versus just kind of normal average years, right? Just we're pretty much in line with a normal average year in terms of seasonal patterns and, and the way the market's playing out. Summer weakness, seasonal strength into the end of the year. And there's reasons for that. Again, as we talked about earlier, a lot of portfolio managers are very behind the curve this year in terms of performance um, because of, well, they own stocks other than seven. <laughs> so, you know, this year has not been a great year for 493 stocks out of the S&P 500. If you take a look at the equal weight index, it's basically flat for the year versus uh, the S&P 500, which has been driven mostly by those top seven to 10 market cap weighted stocks, you know, it's up 13, 14% for the year. So massive performance difference. And that's, that's going to be reflected in the vast majority of portfolio managers this year. So there's a need to play a little bit of catch up now between now and, and year end. So we're going to see, you know, potentially that chase for performance helping lift stocks, not to mention stock buybacks and a variety of other things. 
But there, as I left off in the last segment, what's interesting, though, is is that you need to separate out, and this is one of the big things right now, and, and Mike and I are going to talk about one of the other big myths of the market in the next segment, which is this idea that everybody's selling U.S. bonds and nobody wants to own U.S. bonds, and that's why interest rates are going up. It's a false narrative, and we'll talk about why. But there's, you know, the, the problem with portfolio management is always understanding the difference in time frames. And right now, you know, there's a lot of bearish views on the markets, right? It's like, well, interest rates are higher, the Fed's hiking rates, and, you know, the economy is not that strong. And, and there's, there's all these reasons to be very negative on the markets. Recession, we're going to have a recession, all this stuff, right? And so it's like, oh, I don't want to be in the market because, you know, we're going to have this very negative outcome to markets. And that's probably a true statement, right? There, there are a lot of reasons to expect that we're going to have some type of recessionary economic event at some point in the future. I can guarantee you that at some point in the future, we're going to have a recession. What we don't know is when, right? It could be 10 years from now we have the next recession. Recessions occur on average every eight to nine years in the economy. We had a recession in 2020. So slap eight on it. It's 2028. So if you just want to go by averages, there's your average. So yes, we guaranteed, you know, there's few guarantees in life, but this is a guarantee we will have a recession in the U.S. economy at some point in the future. The question is when. And you can be sitting in cash and, and you know, money market accounts, you know, waiting for this big event to occur and miss fairly significant moves in the markets that can happen. And this is, this, is the, this is the challenge that we face as investors right now because, as I said going out of the, the last segment, is that there is an, an old axiom on Wall Street that, said, that says, sell the, the last Fed rate hike. Why? Well, normally, historically, if you take a look at when the Fed goes through a rate hiking campaign, when they stop hiking rates, normally – and timeframes are always different. Could be six months, could be nine months, could be 12 months, could be three months. These, these timeframes vary. But when the Fed goes through a rate hiking cycle, they have always caused some type of financial-related event or recession. So that's why that's where the thesis comes from. So if you look back in history, Fed hikes rates, when they pause, that's normally when you have either a bear market or a recession or both. Or some type of financial event. And we and Mike and I were talking about long-term capital management last week because that was one of those events that was caused by a Fed rate hiking campaign that blew up a, a bond trade. So here we are again. Now the Fed is potentially going to cease hiking rates as of November. Now they're not going to tell us they're done. They're just going to stop doing it. And so for the next meetings, you know, as we have each meeting, they're going to say, well, we're not hiking rates this time. We're leaving rates where they are. They're sufficiently restrictive and we're watching the data. But the question becomes, when does the sufficiently higher, tighter monetary policies cause a recession in the economy? Mike, this is the big challenge because right now the markets are acting very bullish. There's a lot of very bearish views on the markets. Timing is always the issue, right? Did I lose him? I'm case. sorry. I just couldn't hear that last part. <laughs> I just said uh, normally when the Fed is hiking rates, um, you know, it's it's always caused some type of event, and timing is all the, the timing is kind of always the big issue, right? Right, right. So, 
you know, we're, we're progressing through a cycle and we don't know how long that cycle is going to be. And when we get to the recession, we are going to have a recession, like you said, Lance. Um, well, again, whether it's in three months or a year from now or two years from now, we don't know. But what's important to do is follow the economic data, follow the Fed. You know, if you've noticed, economic data is good, but it's not strong or robust like it was. It's normalizing. And normalizing is good. We're getting back to normal. I, I think that the, the, the challenge for the next few months, maybe longer, is to understand whether we're just normalizing. And that would be sort of a soft landing where economic data kind of gets back to pre-pandemic levels and just levels out. So inflation kind of gets back to 2% two, two, two or so, levels out. The gains in job gains go back to 150, 175, 175,000 a month and level out. And, you know, retail sales and some of these other figures get to more normal paces. Uh, and we, we're, we're kind of getting to some of those levels where they're normalizing. The question is, are we getting to a soft landing or are we going to keep going lower? Are we going to see continued weakness due to higher interest rates? Traditionally, higher interest rates lead to weakness. They've led to recessions. Um, and there's every reason to believe that will happen this time, too. But again, we could be in this period of false soft landing, kind of a normalization, uh, what, what appears to be a normalization for quite a while. And if we do, that's that's kind of Goldilocks for the stock market and it could continue to run higher. So, you know, it's not time to get out of stocks because there's a recession coming. We don't know when that recession is coming. Yields are starting to decline a little bit. You know, a one week certainly does not make a trend. But if yields keep declining, that's also a positive for the market. It means that it's just less of a headwind for the economy. Um, so, you know, all eyes on the Fed. Keep, you know, keep aware of their posture. And all eyes on economic data, especially inflation data, employment data, and consumer type data data like retail sales or sentiment surveys yeah and and again you know the interesting thing about inflation data is is that if the economy is so if, if you are in the camp of thinking there's a recession coming then inflation is going to fall um recessions are are deflationary um recessions are a function of contraction economic demand as demand falls supply increases that brings prices down so that's a def deflationary type of event um you know and importantly where we you know you know, when you talk about a soft landing, and we've we've talked about this on the show before, but you know, this whole narrative of a soft landing has never occurred. Um, the you know, everybody points to 1995, but at that point, yes, the Fed hiked rates, but we did not have any yield curves. None of the yield curves that we track were inverted. The 10-2, the 10-3 month, the you know, the the one year, five year, not any yield curve was inverted. There were zero yield curves inverted in 1995. They didn't invert until 1998. Uh, then you had a recession a couple of years later. We now have a very deeply inverted yield curve. And and importantly, that yield curve, is, and, and specific if you only look at the 10-year, two-year as an example, yield curves are starting to uninvert. Um, this recent kind of drop in rates is, is starting to cause that uninversion of the yield curve. And that has, and it's the, un, and, and as you and I have talked about and we've written about this numerous times, it's when 
the yield curves on invert that actually starts the clock for your next recession. And, and so we're starting to see that on inversion. But it's interesting because nobody expects a recession now. Um, analysts are upgrading their earnings estimates going into next year. They're saying that quarter three is now the trough in the earnings recession. That's now over. Uh, profit margins are expected to uh, kind of start taking off again and, and go to new highs. In fact, um, they're expecting earnings for the S&P 500 to hit a record by the end of next year. But you can't have that in a economic environment that is that is portrayed by weakness right so a weak economic environment is going to lead to lower earnings and profit margins so there's a very clear disconnect between what you know interest rates and fed policy says is going to happen in the economy and what wall street's expecting yeah and you know the other factor is the fed fed can't come to the rescue right now if the economy starts slowing, the Fed's going to be really slow to pause mm -hmm. and really slow to cut rates because they're still scared of inflation. So, you know, you go back to the mid later 90s, the Fed was was supporting the markets. You go back to 1927, there was a sell off at that point and the economy was weakening and the Fed came to the rescue. Yep. So. The Fed can delay a recession, but in this circumstance, given their inflation concerns and given what they've gone through, the Fed coming to the rescue too early is not probable. It's probable they come in too late and let, let a problem uh, blossom. All right, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about one of the latest kind of narrative myths. Uh, that's been running around uh, the, the bond market in particular. We've actually touched on this the last couple of days in our daily market commentary, uh, but we'll talk about it. We'll come back with the, from the break with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So uh, Birkenstock uh, went public yesterday. These are the ugliest shoes known to man. Mike, does your wife wear Birkenstocks? Of course she does. She does? Yeah, so does my wife. Yep. My wife and daughters, they, they, they love their Birkenstocks. And and problem is, is they wear them out in public. That's where it gets embarrassing. Hmm. <laughs> so. And she, my wife always complains because you can't get them wet. I'm like, then why do you have shoes? Better if you can't get wet. <laughs> There's sandals on top of that, right? So it's like, they, they're, never mind, just don't even get me started. Anyway, they've gone public. We'll see what the market thinks about them. Uh, here over the next few days. But uh, is it a trend or is it a fad? We'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> can, can I, real quick, before yeah. we get to the narrows, can yeah. I backtrack for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were talking about a recession's coming. Is it going to be in two months, two years, eight years, whatever it may be? And uh, I was reminded of a, uh, a quote from John Kenneth Galbraith. He's a, a very famous economist. And he said, the function of economic forecasting is to make astrology look respectable. <laughs> so exactly. the, the point of that is that Lancer I, the Fed, JP Morgan, Citibank, 
no one is really good at forecasting the economy like the weather. And we just have to keep our bearings, understand what's going on and take it day by day and see where things go as opposed to living and dying by a six month, nine month forecast that will inevitably inevitably be proven wrong. Yeah. So uh, speaking of being proven wrong, um, a lot of narrative lately and just and, and you know just kind of recently i'd say over the last you know couple of months and then this kind of started on the internet and then it's kind of spread around uh, i've seen a you know few people on youtube talking about this narrative that well the reason that yields are going up is because nobody wants our debt anymore china's dumping our bonds japan's jump dumping our bonds um, nobody wants to own, you know, U.S. Treasuries because we have too much debt, uh, too much, you know, our deficits are too big, and so nobody wants to own the debt. And and you've done some work on this over the last couple of days in our daily market commentary. So if you go to our website, click on the insights tab, click on daily market commentary, read yesterday's and today's because Mike's kind of gone through this, provided you some some charts on this as well. But it's it, you know I, I get it. Right. I understand the concern. Right. We have, you know, our debt to GDP is now more than 100 percent of debt to GDP, running about 114 percent of debt to GDP, something like that. And, you know, it's certainly concerning. Right. We, you know, we're we're you know, we just passed this continuing resolution for 45 days because we can't do a budget in Congress. We just keep spending more and more money. And, you know, the concern is, is that nobody wants to buy the debt. So who's going to buy if, if nobody buys the debt, then interest rates are just going to go taken off to the moon. You know, we're going to see 20 percent interest rates on U.S. Treasuries before anybody will buy our debt. I get it. I understand the concern. Um, you know, I got a, a comment this morning is like, this is how Rome died. And, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, I understand the concerns. Right. Uh, it, it's it's. You know, these are not invalid concerns. You know, the debt is certainly concerning. There's in, there's implications for economic growth and inflation that all come off of debt. But this narrative that everybody's dumping our debt and that's why interest rates are going up uh, doesn't really hold a lot of water when you actually look at the data. Mike, what'd you find? Yeah, the problem with these narratives is they're not true. Uh, Japan and China have sold some U.S. Treasury bonds, but the amount they've sold is not significant, especially the bond market is the most liquid, heavily traded market in the world. What they've sold is kind of insignificant uh, in the grand scheme of things. And it's not China is not dumping our bonds. They're not trying to get out of our bonds. They are they've been slowly selling. But if you look at all foreign holdings of U.S. Treasury bonds, it's been stable. So while China and Japan have sold a little bit, someone else is buying the bonds. So net-net, there is no real reason that bonds should be selling off, especially to the degree they have mm -hmm. because of, of China and Japan. And even if there wasn't other foreign buying making up for it, the amounts they've sold is not not enough to justify what's happened in the bond market. Well, and again, let's just assume that even in worst-case scenario that China and Japan dump their entire holdings of bonds. What percentage of our total debt does that make up? Well, China has 800, approximately 800 billion bonds. The U.S. Fed has 8 trillion bonds. So if you don't think the Fed can just increase their holdings by 10% to absorb whatever China wants to sell, it, it, again, it's really not much. Right. Um, you know, of course, 
it matters. And in the short run, it can push up yields if they were to take an action like that. And I'm sure it would. It would be a uh, shocking moment. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just not that much. What is it? 32, tri- 30, I want to say 32 trillion it's, of debt outstanding. 33. 33. They're 800 billion. Right. So, you know, it's a few percent, couple percent. It's a big deal. But but there's a lot of other players out there that are willing to take those bonds at certain yields. Right. And the Fed is the backstop. But let's talk, but let's, let's talk about another important aspect of this, though. And, and you and I have talked about this before, and people tend to forget about this. Um, you know, people think that or a lot of people think, well, you know, they just own our bonds. Well, they don't just own our bonds, right? They, they didn't just wake up one morning and go, oh, I think I'll just buy some treasuries today. You know, it's just, you know, what Japan the same way. Um, as you and I have talked about before, you know, there was a, a lot of concern um, over previous administrations about, you know, China manipulating their currency and all this. And, you know, we've, we've written articles about this before. We've talked about this on the show. Every country in the world manipulates their currency. We've been manipulating our currency in the U.S. since 1913. Um, and the reason is, is that we want to maintain stable trading with other countries so if our currency becomes too strong or too weak relative to our trading partners then that makes goods too expensive or too cheap relative and it's not good for trade on on one side or the other somebody wants to balance that out and so we so what happens and we've talked about this before is that china buys u.s treasuries to sanitize trade in the u.s so if they sell they sell 50 billion dollars worth of products to the u.s Instead of taking all that those sales back into to the Chinese yuan, they'll buy treasuries with it because if they took all that money back into their currency, it would make their currency too strong relative to the U.S. dollar, which would impair the trade relationship. So they sanitize trades by buying U.S. treasuries. So what's been happening with the dollar over the course of the last you know few months, right? Dollar was getting weaker. Uh, dollar is getting stronger now. So you, when you're seeing this movement in a country buying or selling bonds, it isn't because, oh, they don't like us anymore. The vast majority of those reasons for buying or selling treasury debt is because they need to stabilize the reserve currency base that they have between the countries and, and stabilize their currency balances. China tries to maintain a reasonable peg to the U.S. dollar for trade purposes. Same, same with Japan. Mike, your thoughts? Right. Yeah. Whether China likes it or not, they have to use the dollar and they know that. And if you're using the dollar, you have to have dollar reserves. And it's like your wallet in your back pocket. It's this, it's like your checking account. It's the same thing. And if you have reserves, you want that money invested. Now, they could invest it in many things. It doesn't have to be bonds. Bonds are just the safest. They're risk free. And you earn a decent, you know, especially today, you earn a decent yield on them. So this is what countries do. And, you know, our, our, our biggest enemies know they have to use the dollar because most countries, almost every country will not accept their currencies. So, you know, they have no choice. They know they have no choice. You'll see their reserves dropping, re- increasing. A lot of it has to do with many other factors not their hatred for America and our economic system. Right. And I, there's really no reason to think that that will change drastically, you know, especially over the next five, 10 years. Right. 
And, and again, just, you know, and, and yes, and as you know, I've also talked about before, you know, one of the, you know, well, you know, but we're seeing these other countries, you know, negotiate deals to trade outside the U.S. dollar. That's been going on forever. Um, countries, you know, emerging market countries will do deals with each other to trade goods, services, and commodities in their currency, particularly when the dollar is very strong relative to them. It's an inflationary issue for them. But again, if you look at the amount of trade that is conducted in dollars around the world, it's fairly stable. It doesn't really change much because, to your point, Mike, if you want to do business in most countries, they'll, they do it in U.S. dollars because it is the reserve currency of choice, at least for now. Could that change at some point? Absolutely, right? Right. Um, the question always becomes is who would be the next reserve currency? You've got to have stability. You've got to have rule of law. You've got to have liquidity. You've got to have depth. And there's no other currency right now that has all those factors other than the U.S. dollar. So it could change at some point in the future. Just don't know when or where or, or what it would be. But it's certainly possible. Right, right. There's another. Let's talk about the other narrative out there that the Treasury is just going crazy, borrowing money and issuing a ton of debt. You know, that that makes for good headlines. But if you look at the data, they're not, you know, and this is not to belittle our debt situation because we're in a pretty bad situation. Our debt to GDP ratio is awful. But if you look at growth rates of debt, they there's nothing irregular about them. They're slightly elevated. Our debt on a three year annualized basis has grown at six percent. That compares to about four percent, five percent. But if you look back over time, Six percent is dwarfed by other periods in time. If you look at long-term debt growth rates, we're actually slightly below the trend over the last seven, eight years. And our debt to GDP ratio shot up during COVID, but it's actually retreated decently since then. Uh, almost not, you know, about two thirds of the way back to where it was before COVID started. So you know, yes, they're issuing a lot of debt, but yes, the economy is bigger and tax revenue is bigger. So just put it all into perspective. That's right. And it's always the case. It's, uh, you know, just pay attention to the facts, not the headlines and keep you out of trouble more often than not. Um, all right. Wraps up the show for today. Michael's latest article out on the website right now. Also comments about this whole issue on the debt on the website now in the daily market commentaries yesterday's and today's all at the website, willinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.